0: Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I know what it's like to hear those three words. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. One day I said to my wife, Linda, that I hated the fact that I had cancer. And she looked at me and said, no, sweetheart, we have cancer. This transformed the way I looked at cancer because every one of us is touched by it in some way. Patients and survivors, caregivers and medical professionals, and we all have a story to tell. On each episode, we share those stories to inform, inspire, and provide hope to all of us who are affected by cancer, to remind us that we are not alone. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 185 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so very much for joining me today. My guest this week is Katie Russell Newland. Katie has a wonderful story to share, and I use this word story in multiple ways. Her story and woven into her story is the story that she wrote as a book called A Season with Mom. And Katie chronicles the story and how she and her mother bonded over baseball and how Katie chose to honor her mother's memory by writing this book that chronicled a wonderful story of a year spent immersed in the world of baseball, and I'll I'll leave the rest to you to, to read because truly, folks, I cannot recommend this book enough. The word that came to mind after reading this book, A Season with Mom, was beautiful. I thought it was just one of the most beautifully written books and just such a wonderful way to honor her mother's memory. And in our interview, Katie talks about the reason why it took a while for this story to be told, and how the impetus to writing it was Katie's own cancer diagnosis in 2012. I really think you're going to not only enjoy our conversation, but uh, if you do get the chance to pick up and read A Season with Mom, that too will bring you much joy reading this, this just beautifully written story. So join me now for my conversation with Katie Russell Newland. Katie, welcome to the We Have Cancer podcast. I really appreciate you joining me today. And, you know, the easy question, and I will ask it, is, you know, to talk about baseball. But I noticed that you and I have another passion in common, and that is music and music festivals. And since... The world just started to open up. I've been spending so much time buying concert tickets, <laughs> you know, planning ahead. Uh, I just bought tickets for, and we're recording this in May of 2021. I just bought tickets for a show in for March in 2022. So tell me about your love of music first. That's probably not a question you've been asked on all your interviews. <laughs> it has
1: not, but it's probably my favorite question because I love music and I love that you've already purchased tickets because I have as well my husband um, in the morning, I'll be like, you were asleep and I um, got us some tickets to a music festival. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I thought you might want to go. Every morning, he's like, what did you buy tickets to this time? Uh, So we also bought tickets to Pilgrimage Festival in Nashville in October. Who's playing? Um, Well, it's a variety of people, about 20 artists, but I love Amos Lee. He's playing and Dave Matthews Band and a lot of oldies, also some new people. Marin Morris, a mixture of country mom, and pop. It's just uh, we-,
0: we we can definitely be friends.
1: <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> so, tell me, what's your
0: favorite baseball memory with mom?
1: You know, I think that it's the quiet moments that with my mom when I'd come home from school and I'd race to her room. I would drop my book bag by the door and she'd be in her lazy boy and the game would be tuned on to WGN and then the Cubs. And I would hop into her bed. And, you know, it was those quiet moments where we didn't really have to say much. And we let baseball do the talking that are the most memorable um, for me, certainly. And then I think um, it was probably Harry Carey's when I was in middle school. And she promised to take me to see a Cubs game. And during that trip, it was in Harry's Carry where we were sitting and eating um, lunch where she said, let's go see all the ballparks. And so that's where the dream of going to see all 30 major league ballparks happened. So I think it was both the quiet moments in our home together that we shared watching the Cubs for much of my childhood. And then the, the moment where the plan was hatched to go to all 30 ballparks.
0: And the plan was hatched, what, 15, 16 years ago, right?
1: Gosh, a long time probably ago. A long, right? Yeah, probably like, let's see, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a long time ago when I was in middle school.
0: What do people say when they hear my connection as a daughter to my mother was baseball? <laughs> do, you get, do you get double takes on that?
1: I do often've been surprised by how many men have approached me about why was you your mom not your dad and I you know said, well, I think she just loved baseball since she was a little kid, and you know my dad worked all the time, so he didn't watch sports as much as we did, and I certainly get that question a lot, and I think it's rooted in um, my mom's love of the underdog, and I think um that's part of the reason why she loved the cubs and Part of the reason why we um, certainly rooted for them.
0: When you had the opportunity to throw out the first pitch at Wrigley Field, take us through the emotions of that.
1: Sure. Well, I can't take you through that moment without taking you back to my childhood where please I would throw in our backyard against, we had a white brick wall that was part of sort of the foundation of the house. And I would go out back and I would throw against the wall. I'd, tape a masking tape box as my strike zone, and I'd pretend like I was on the mound at Wrigley, and usually in the bottom of the ninth, you know, game on the line kind of thing, two outs, you know, full count, bases loaded, and um, I would throw, pretending like I was on the mound at Wrigley. And so for me, you know, I guess 20 years later, 25 years later, to actually step foot on the mound and... Manifest a dream that I had as a little kid was obviously magical and special in so many ways. Um, I think also to have my family and friends there to witness it was part of the excitement to my mom's brother and my best friend who was there at the time we were at Harry Carey's and the plan was hatched. You know, she was there. And honestly, my mom was there too. Maybe not in person, but. In spirit, I certainly felt her presence as I stepped foot. And I think the one thing I tried to do was to really be in the moment and to take it all in and to, you know, look around and to feel the fans and to just soak up every moment because you don't get a chance often to live out childhood dreams. And that was certainly one of mine.
0: Did they win the game?
1: They did. I think, uh, <laughs> if I remember correctly, I think, yeah, Arietta had a shutout that game. I like to think it was me and the, the first pit. You, and mom. Yes, and mom.
2: And mom. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the We Have Cancer Show. This month is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and I can't thank enough for having us on the show. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Brody Nicholas, and I have the honor of leading campaign one at a time. This month, we're sponsoring Caden, an 11-year-old cancer patient from Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts. Caden is a mama's boy and loves to study dinosaurs, sharks, and any other animal, and is currently battling acute myeloid leukemia. Caden has gone through three rounds of chemotherapy, a bone marrow transplant, five blood transfusions, over 15 platelet transfusions, and so much more. After all that he's been through, we want to help Caden and his family make more memories together outside of the hospital. That's why we're on a mission to raise $10,000 this month to send Caden and his family to Disney World for a much-needed vacation. You can learn more about Caden's campaign and learn how you can help by visiting wehavecantershowcom forward slash Caden. Thank you so much for listening and helping spread good for more kids like Caden.
0: Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. And, you know, as, as we talked uh, before we started recording, baseball has been a part of my life since I was a young child, too. And there were so many stories the following season when the Cubs won the World Series of people writing names of loved ones on the wall outside of Wrigley who weren't with us anymore physically. Yes. Just to make them a part of it. Tell me about the emotions and what your thoughts of mom when the Cubs, after 108 years, oh, gosh. finally, sh- finally you know- did it.
1: I was actually so fortunate enough to be gifted seats to the um, game four of the World Series that year. And so game four and then I guess game four and five were in Chicago and then six and seven were back in Cleveland. And so game four and five, four, they had lost. Um, and so it was looking pretty dire. Um, and I remember there was a breeze that came through Wrigley and I remember sort of feeling like, you know, is, Like, what's my mom trying to tell me right now? Like, don't give up hope. You know, like this isn't over yet, even though it appeared to look like all signs were pointing in that direction. And so when it came to game seven and people were throwing parties and were like, oh, why don't you come meet us here to watch the game? I chose to watch it by myself at home. I wanted no distractions. I kind of just wanted it to be me and my mom, you know, just like w- when I was a kid, when I would run home and jump into her bed. And so I think that that solitude <laughs> in processing the, the, the magnitude of 108 years and the weight was m- made more special because, you know, I, I chose to sort of, you know, be present with her in that moment.
0: Let's go backwards. Yeah. You kind of walked away from baseball when your mother died from cancer and then cancer paid you a visit. How did that change your perspective? Not just on baseball, but what were the thoughts that came to you when you got the diagnosis as it related to your mother and everything you know that was dear to you?
1: Sure. As you said, I, I really stopped watching baseball because it it reminded me too much of her, and I don't think I was ready to process that loss. Um, I was busy in my own life. I was doing a PhD program, which demanded a lot of my time and energy. And so, when I was diagnosed three years after she passed away, I was told I had Hodgkin's lymphoma and melanoma. And I remember, in you know the the weeks sort of le- after that diagnosis, thinking about my mom's journey and thinking about. Um, how she navigated that experience for herself. And I really drew on her strength. And even though she didn't survive it, it was the way she went through it that inspired me. And I think I was really fortunate that the summer I went through the treatment, there was baseball and there was also the Olympics going on. And so I went back into sports um, and it saved me, honestly. in in between treatments, in between, you know, chemo and radiation. And it was about, you know, six months of a time period. But in those three months, my love of baseball came back because it was a reminder to me when watching every game that it didn't matter what the score was. It didn't matter how many times that player struck out. You know, there was always a chance for a comeback. And I think that's what sports remind us of. And it was a message I needed to hear going through treatment for sure.
0: So it was more than, okay, I'll pass some time and watch a game. Yeah. It was, it was deeper, wasn't it?
1: Much deeper. I, I think sports are such a metaphor for life. And I think that they allow us to, um, they inspire us. I think they give us hope. And I think oftentimes people think sports are just what happens on the field, but really it's the players and their stories and the fans that watch them. And it's, it's being invested in, in their journeys that help us to make sense of our own lives and our own journeys.
0: So when did the idea from Harry Carey's come back to you?
1: I think it was about two years after treatment. I had spent a year as often many cancer survivors do, once you get that sort of clear scan and your treatment is sort of complete, you know, you're never complete, right? It's never done. It's never over. And it's a, it's a forever journey. And the year after I got something called Lermite sign, which is very rare. And it's when the, um, the radiation to my neck and chest got to my spinal cord. And so I couldn't really walk without being shocked. If I hung my head, I would get this sort of electric shock through my body. And it was not comfortable. And it was also frightening because here you thought, oh, I'm about to go you know, live my life again. And here, here I am, I've, I've made it, I've completed treatment. And it was sort of another knockdown, right? And so I spent a year pretty sedentary, um, which would make two years of being very sedentary. And when I came out of that, experience. I also graduated with my PhD. And I think when you go through a um, transition like that, it clears space for you to think about what you want for your life. And I realized in that moment that why haven't I done that thing we wanted to do? Life's short and you know, I, I need to go do it. I need to go do it for myself. I need to go do it for my mom. She wanted to do it. She couldn't do it. So I'm going to go do it for her. And I think it was the culmination of several things, the physically feeling like I could do it. And then the release of finishing a you know, six year PhD program where I thought I need to go do those things I wanted to do.
0: And at what point did the idea from the book surface?
1: A lot of people have asked me if I was planning to do a book, and I had no intention (laughs) of writing a book when I did this journey. I went on it, like I said, for myself. I think it was um, a healing journey for me, and I think it was uh, in part a way to get closer to my mom. Um, It was also a um, journey of finding love, love for myself, and learning to love myself again after the trauma that I had gone through, and... The book came, gosh, a couple of years after when the baseball journey kept surfacing. So I had sort of moved on with my life after the journey. I was teaching at the University of Texas at Austin and loving my job and just going through you know my life and it kept surf- resurfacing. People would email me and ask me about the journey. Um, commercials would write and say, oh, we want you to be a part of this commercial. We read your story. And I kept thinking, why is this... Still coming up several years later. And if I'd learned anything from the baseball trip, it was to follow the signs and to follow what was being put in front of me. And it, so I thought, you know what? There's something to this. Let me, let me give it a go and see what I could make of it. And so I taught myself how to write a book proposal. I went and found an agent and I, wrote the book. And again, I had no intention when I did it, which I think is what makes it authentic because I didn't take particular pictures or I didn't journal about specific things. I really was present throughout the whole thing. And you know, looking back on it to write the book was actually a journey in and of itself. Um, it was a whole nother journey. And what a gift that is to be able to go through that journey a second time.
0: Talk more about that. How, how was that journey kind of
1: 2.0? Sure. Well, I think when you're in it, um, it's hard to see what it is, right? You're just living in the present moment. You're I had no intention of making it anything, and I was just going. And for much of my life I was a planner. It's why I went it was in a PhD program, it's why I completed it. And this was something I had no plan. So to go back and look across, and something that I did before I started writing the book is I looked across all of the photographs from the trip, and there were thousands of them. And having just come out of a program where I learned how to be a qualitative researcher, I approached it like that. So I looked across to find themes in each ballpark, like what was showing up, you know, where was I pointing my lens? Because where we point our lens tends to, to show or illustrate you know, what's important to us. Right. And so I went across all of them and I, I just saw themes emerge. And that's kind of where the subjects came from for the book. And in doing that, I processed the experience in a whole new way. And what I thought it was while I was going through it actually became something different in hindsight. And I think that's the gift of looking back and reflecting on big moments in our lives. I think, you know, even with cancer treatment, while you're going through it, you know, you're trying to survive, right? You're just trying to, from one minute to the next, from one day to the next. And, you know, I was doing the baseball journey, just, you know, going on this day, where do I get my next ticket? How do I do it? And then, you know, looking back on my cancer experience, there's so much more I've learned about um, who I am and, and what I want out of life looking back now than when I was going through it. And it's exactly the same with the book. Having written it now and looking back on my journey, I can see so many more of the gifts that the journey gave me. And I think it's the same with cancer. I can see so many of the gifts now that I couldn't see in the moment of just trying to survive. Like I think the biggest takeaway for me is this idea of patience. I think that gosh so many people this i mean we all had this last year right like through covid i think we have had to really <laughs> turn up the patience dial right and i didn't realize how patient i was during my cancer treatment in that you know your outcome is undetermined right your timeline is unknown and you you're just living in it and having to be patient with whatever's coming your way and i think that going back and and tapping into that during the last year when we were all, you know, outcome undetermined, timeline unknown, and we were all living in that experience. I felt uniquely prepared to navigate that because of what I cultivated during my cancer experience.
0: I can relate. Absolutely. (laughs) How much, Katie, do you think control played into this? Because when you're in cancer treatment things are happening to us, we don't have the control that we want. And then you flip around and to coordinate, and I'm curious to get some more details and plan something, an event like this requires lots of control.
1: You know, I'm, I'm good at the control thing. <laughs> and that's, that's the problem, I think. And I think that was why in some ways cancer appeared in my life, because it was a message to me about letting go and that you don't control things. And so it's an interesting question for sure, um, because I think that I was controlling sort of in some ways the baseball journey, but in a lot of other ways, I was really trying to let go and to let whatever ballpark I went to next speak to me. So when my sister says, hey, I've got a conference in Seattle and I'm like, oh, okay, well I'll time it with when I'm in San Francisco, seeing the Giants, I'll, we'll, let, how about we take the train up the Pacific coast, and then we'll go to your conference, and then we'll go to the game. And I really tried to let those um, organic moments happen, which as a sort of recovering perfectionist, uh, controlling person, wasn't necessarily my best uh, attribute of prior to cancer. So I think in some ways, It was, yes, the control of setting up a journey, but also leaving space for the organic and for life to unfold as it's supposed to.
0: Yeah, I'm sitting here listening to this and just so much admiration and respect for the fact that you saw the opportunity and took the opportunity to let go and be in the moment, you know, and it all makes sense right? If you were went with the intention of writing the book, there's no way you could have had the same experience in each park as opposed to, I'm just going to fulfill the dream I had with mom and to, and to do this thing.
1: It's so true. I think the, the notion of detaching from outcome is one of the greatest things I learned from the cancer treatment and what it coached me to do. And that's exactly what I was trying to do by doing the journey. And I think actually capping it off with getting to throw out the first pitch was another sort of reminder of what you're saying, Lee, and that I wanted to <laughs> make the pitch. Good. I wanted it to be a strike. I wanted it to be a, a good pitch and I wanted to control it. And I began re- like Googling first pitches. It, and It I, looked like
0: it was low and outside a little bit, but I think <laughs> you did pretty good.
1: <laughs> it was definitely a change up, but it went across the plate for sure. <laughs> But yeah, I, you know, I was Googling first pitches and I Googled Chicago first pitch and Michael Jordan came up and he completely botched it. He airmailed it. And I was thinking, oh no, like I'm never going to be able to do this. And then Nolan Ryan, you know, didn't even hit the catcher. And I'm like, Nolan Ryan, you know, didn't make it. And so I got in my head a little bit and it was another opportunity to revisit that idea that you're talking about which is letting go and detaching from outcome and it's so hard to do but it's such a good act to try and pay attention to and to try to cultivate in your life.
0: How did the word get out?
1: About the actual
0: journey? About about the journey and and how did, you know culminating in the first pitch and all of, all of that.
1: You know, I don't know there was there was an article that came out on Huffington Post and then I think it just sort of spiraled from there, and I think maybe it it resonated with people. You know, I, I I felt like it was a story for me, and and something I was doing. I had no idea that it would resonate with people, and that um, it would mean something to other people. And I'm I'm I feel so appreciative of the people who've reached out that have um, told me that it's given them hope or inspired them. And and I think that happens when um, media and podcasts like yourself are aired because that's the way people get to share their stories and the way people get to receive stories. So it was really a gift for me. um, And I know a lot of people have expressed that.
0: Tell me some of the surprise experiences and memories that occurred during the trip. Anything jump to mind outside of the obvious that we talked about?
1: (laughs) And there's so... Many serendipitous things that happened along the journey. And I think that's how I knew I was on the right path. Whether it was, you know, that night in Chicago, unbeknownst to me, I later learned after the journey, my mom's best friend, she said that her college friend, this was in Wisconsin, and her college friend, um, she was talking about my journey with, and he said, Oh, I was at the game that night. And he said, I saw her throughout the first pitch. I didn't know who she was. And then he said, I remember her mom because she and I were partnered at the wedding going down the aisle, and I loved her because we talked about baseball the entire time. And I thought, well, what are the chances that he he doesn't go to games regularly, that he would be there, you know, that evening? on that night. And, you know, I would go to a game and I would try to pick tickets all across the stadium so that I'd have different vantage points and different views of the ballpark and experience it in different ways. And every time I, wherever I sat was exactly where I needed to be. I would, I would connect with the fans and the, you know, I would learn later on that that fan, um, and let's say in Kansas city, had just finished her PhD. Her mom had passed away from cancer. It was a sh- similar story. Um, and I think that was a huge part of what I learned from the journey is that we are all so much more similar than we are different. And we share so many stories in common. And it's just about taking the time to get quiet and get still and to connect with those who are right in front of us.
0: Talk about the logistics of just pulling this thing off. What what did that require? What were some of the challenges?
1: There were a couple of spreadsheets, definitely. Um. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> there, I'm good at spreadsheets. There were a few of those. You know, thing. One thing I didn't realize is that when you go to a city where there's two teams, they often don't play at the same time, and that's purposeful. And so that was a unique thing to to pick up on and. Um, Although I think when I went to New York, I was able to manage to see the Mets and the Yankees. But like in California, I had to kind of jump back. So Dodgers, Angels, um, Padres, San Francisco, I didn't see them all at the same time. Um, And because I had the freedom to sort of go on on my whim, I think, you know, it was a little bit challenging to circumvent the geographical aspect um, of where ballparks were located. But all in all, I was so happy to be doing it that the logistics didn't phase me um, very much.
0: <laughs> Any rainouts?
1: Yes, there were a lot. Well, I don't. They weren't actually completely rained out, but there were many rain delays. Actually, St. Louis was a rain delay. Two rain delays um, in St. Louis, Colorado was a rain delay. I started thinking maybe it was me, and I brought bad luck because Cincinnati was had rain. There were quite a few, um, but, you know, it kind of added to the magic of it all, right?
0: What was the longest stretch that you were on the road?
1: That's a good question. Because one thing I did purposefully do was to um, bank time in between the sessions. So... I had, you know, after cancer treatment, I got really curious about health and wellness. And I actually got certified, did a year-long program to be certified as an integrative health coach um, because I wanted to be smarter about it. Because I knew if I didn't get smarter about my life, I wasn't going to have one anymore. Um, And so... I think the thing that I did was I would go away and then I would make sure I built in time to come home and do my normal exercise and meditation and my eating habits because it's hard to eat healthy, you know, on a ballpark tour. (laughs) That's a little bit of a challenge. And so... I never went for too long um, because I think traveling's hard on your body. And But I think the biggest stretch was the 4th of July stretch where I went to sort of the East Coast and caught a lot of those games, Baltimore and Boston. And it was probably a two-week stretch of games.
0: Any trouble securing tickets?
1: No, not really. And I think that's one of the beauties of baseball is that it's actually an affordable sport for people, right? They have tickets range from, you know, all the spectrum. Whereas in football, you know, it's pretty hard to secure a football ticket for a reasonable amount of money. And so I think that made it also really doable for me. And I I think the only sold out crowd was actually, ironically, Toronto. But otherwise, I never really, there was never really a sold out crowd. And towards the end, people were so gracious offering me tickets or, and I didn't, I didn't take them because I really wanted my experience to be um, as a, just an average fan going to the game. I wanted to experience it just like the person next to me, so I kind of just politely declined and um, continued to purchase tickets all uh, all around the ballpark.
0: Did you collect a souvenir from each?
1: I did. Each I stop? I collected a hat from every ballpark.
0: That's awesome. I know. And one day <laughs> I have
1: this vision of a, a wall. If I ever get a house that has a wall big enough, <laughs> I kind of see it as an art display, right? I'd like to, to do that, hang them all up.
0: So people may know, if they're sports fans, the person who wrote the forward to the book, <laughs> how did that happen?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, um, Peyton Manning and I grew up across the street from each other in New Orleans. And um, we uh, also went to the same high school together. So we spent much of our lives in the same classrooms and his house didn't have a backyard. So he would come over to our house to play football with his brothers in the yard because we had a larger yard. And so being the gracious person and family that they've always been, he saw my journey and my story and he was supportive of it from day one. And you know, I, I don't obviously keep in touch with him, but when I went through my cancer treatment I received a a letter from him about how he had passed my house with his mom and that he was thinking about me and that I was in his prayers. And I just, it sticks out to me as a reminder of the power of a letter. And I think that that's the beauty of the foreword is is it is, you know, this book is an epistolary memoir and it's all about letters. You know, I write to my mom and I think he hits on that in the foreword. And for him to actually live that out in his own life and to, you know, I'm sure I'm not (laughs) the only person who's gotten a a lovely letter from Peyton before. And I was really grateful, um, for it.
0: And now it looks like bigger things are even in the works as a result of this book. Are you able to share anything
1: about that? that? You know, I, it just came out, uh, last week, right before my wedding, I was, uh, leaving town and, um, it was announced that uh, Kaylee Cuoco and, yes, Norman Productions, have, I've optioned the rights to them um, for the movie. And it's super exciting. Again, I had no intention of the book <laughs> becoming anything other than something that I wrote for myself, for my mom, for my family. And the idea that it resonated with someone that wants to, you know, put it on the big screen is just a, a bonus. And I'm really grateful
0: a lot to be grateful for.
1: Yes. <laughs> for sure.
0: And then the cherry on the on the Sunday is uh the wedding that just happened. Yes. So what what a what a nice uh ending to this chapter because it's just I know it's just a chapter of your life.
1: Yes. That's a really beautiful way to say it.
0: Katie, it's been a pleasure. It truly has. Uh-huh. And I wish you all the best and uh thanks for the generosity of your time and for sharing such a meaningful, inspiring, and touching story with all of us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: The Colon Cancer Coalition has all kinds of wonderful events taking place in the coming months. Various ways that you can get out and move, whether it's get your rear in gear with a run-walk event, or a golf event through the Caboose Cup, uh, Tour de Tush bike rides, Lots of ways you can support the amazing work that the Colon Cancer Coalition does to raise awareness and fund local organizations that are making a difference in the world of colorectal cancer. You can check out all of their events by going to wehavecancershow.com forward slash CCC for Colon Cancer Coalition, and you can find an event in your neighborhood, many are taking place in person, but they virtually, all of them have virtual components as well, if that's your preference. So once again, support the Colon Cancer Coalition by going to wehavecancershow.com forward slash CCC. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts Google Podcast, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter.